Welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, so whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on how Buffy has matured since its premiere in 1997. Thanks for listening. Now on to the episode. Kara, we have made it to Season 1, Episode 12, Prophecy Girl. Excellent. Excellent. I'm not ready for this episode. I'm not ready for a lot of reasons. (laughs) I don't think there's any way to be ready for this. And I can imagine for the people who are watching this for the first time, you can't be ready for this. This, I I don't want to get into the discussion this episode. We'll save this for the recap of whether or not this is the best episode of the season. But I think we can agree this is an amazing episode. It's very good. It's, It's just as I remembered it. I've seen this one more so than, let's say, the puppet show, right? But uh, mm-hmm. like taking it in now after so closely watching the last 11 episodes, this was, it was an eye opener in what it meant for the show. Yeah, it, it feels like a reward, yeah. right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. the writers are rewarding us for sticking it through what ha- what has been a rocky season and we've approached the end now and things come together. And these little threads that have been dangling for the whole season come to a resolution. And Buffy herself as a character experiences some very intense and interesting moments. Some like like this episode by itself is almost like an emotional mini arc for <laughs> Buffy. Oh, for sure. So I'm really excited to get into that and discuss like how this one episode, like, it's not any longer than the other episodes, but it feels longer. It feels cinematic because it's very well written. It's very well edited. So, yeah, let's do it. Let's, as we rub our hands together, let's, let us dive in. Let us begin. Uh, Previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. (laughs) So uh, I just want to add in once again that I'm watching this on Disney Plus, so I get the previously on Buffy and it's that nasally voice every time I will never get sick of it (laughs) right so well that's a good point though let's maybe do a quick little season recap for any listeners who have joined us and said we're gonna I'm gonna skip season one but I'm diving into Prophecy Girl because I think I remember it being a good episode so so far Buffy's the Slayer don't tell anybody. Uh, Xander and Willow and Giles help out. Mm-hmm. Giles gets a lot of head trauma. Mm-hmm. The big bad this season is a really scary 600-year-old vampire named the Master, but he can't do anything except chew scenery because he's trapped in a mystical prison. And his only buddy is like an eight-year-old kid <laughs> named Colin, a.k.a. the Anointed One, who's also a vampire. Really weird sitcom. I also want to say I love that we call him Colin. But he is known as the Anointed One. <laughs> but we call him Colin. He's always Colin in our hearts. Yes. <laughs> um, so the entire season has been basically monsters popping up here and there to distract Buffy. But really what we're coming down to is the final confrontation. It is fated by prophecy. Buffy and the Master are going to fight. And this is the episode where 
Only one of them walks away. So. I will also say that you forgot to talk about Angel, but that's fine. (laughs) True. I don't feel like he's important. Oh. (laughs) I will skate by that and we will begin (laughs) we begin at the bronze and xander is practicing how he will ask buffy to the spring fling dance now honestly cara i thought this already happened i thought the dance already happened in the last you would be forgiven no so cordelia was voted on to be the may queen for the dance right so they had an election right but the actual dance hasn't happened yet Okay, that's confusing. <laughs> um, like they have the the election before the dance, right? Uh, sure. To decide who's going to be May Queen. Okay, okay. I just know growing up in Ontario, we would elect the queen or the I don't know the the, the princess snowflake, whatever it is, at the dance. You do it on the day, so that's why. Yeah, I think me. that's how some schools do it. I don't I don't remember if my school ever did anything like that. Our dances were not great, um, <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the the dance hasn't happened yet. Okay, that explains um, that, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so Xander's practicing his asking outlines, I guess, on Willow, which his speech. poor Willow. Willow, uh, you can do so much better. Like she's like eating it up because he's basically he's like he's like practicing word by word what he was saying. He's really intense, and she's like obviously pretending it's her. But the type of speech that he's giving is actually very problematic, so she shouldn't want it to be about her at all. Because if you actually mm-hmm. break down what Xander plans to say to Buffy, it's it's just a huge guilt trip. It's like, Buffy, mm-hmm. you know how I feel about you. It's time to take the next step. <laughs> There's never been anyone know. else for me but you. Like it's that's this guilt tripping, man. It's like you know how I feel about you. No, she doesn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nothing is yeah. indicated that she knows, and if she did know, she hasn't addressed it. Therefore, she doesn't like you back. So there's that. And then you know it's time to take the next step, like or what? And you decide that. Like you're deciding when the next step is. And also, like yeah, there's never been anyone else for me but you. So if you break, if you don't take me. I'm alone forever. Is that like, it's just a lot. It's weird. It's a weird speech. And I'm glad that Xander changes tactics in the middle of this. And he just says, maybe I should just say, hey, I like you. We should go to the dance together. Yes, Xander. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Trust that instinct. (laughs) Go with that. So they wonder what Buffy's up to because she didn't show up at the bronze. And Willow says the usual. And I love this cut. I love this cut. We cut to uh, a field outside and Buffy is slow motion falling to the ground. And we cut to Cordelia, who's making out with some guy in a car at the same park. And it's a very Mm -hmm. classic urban legend trope, right? Couples having sex in a car where there's something bad and waiting for them outside. But Buffy happens to be there fighting it. I I have a question. Yes. Is this Mitch that she's making out with? I can't tell. All, you know, all white guys look the same. Um, <laughs> uh, no. Is this Mitch? No, no, no. It's Kevin. <laughs> it's a new, oh, she got okay. rid of Mitch. He was too black and blue. Uh, he was also oh, a douchebag. Right, yes. So this is, they say it later, but his name is Kevin. But I too was like, that doesn't look like Mitch, but you're, you're right. Like, did I look at Mitch long enough 
<laughs> no, to be sure. I don't remember what Mitch looks like, but okay. Okay, cool. So Cordelia and Kevin yeah. making out. Yeah, and she's all like, what's out there? Something there? Uh, and the whole time that shows Buffy and this vampire fighting, it's all in slow motion. It's like an interesting effect that they're doing. And Buffy pulls out a stake and looks super confident. She gives like a little smirk and the vampire's like, oh shit. And then she easily stakes him. And she mentions that that was the third vampire that night and Giles would be so proud. So, mm-hmm. you know, this whole season we've been talking about how Cordelia and Buffy, there's a comparison there. Mm-hmm. One is the foil and Buffy would be Cordelia in a different life. And this very beginning of the very last episode of season one, once again, hammers that home that in a different life, Buffy would be like any other teenager getting it on in a car because they can't you mm-hmm. know, go anywhere else. And there would be something out in the darkness stalking them like in a classic horror movie. But in this case, Buffy is out there fighting it and protecting her classmates. Absolutely. And yeah, Buffy is protecting Cordelia so that Cordelia can get some. So (laughs) what a wing woman. Yeah, (laughs) I'd do the same for Cordelia, to be honest. So Giles is not proud. In fact, he's in the library transcribing the codex that Angel had brought to him in the episode before. And he's muttering to himself and he's reading that the master shall rise and the slayer, oh God. So something's not right. Something's up with Giles. And um, that's when everything starts to rumble and holy shit, it's an earthquake. And there's an earthquake in Sunnydale all over the place because we see Xander and Willow get affected at the bronze, Cordy Mm -hmm. and Buffy in the park. And then Giles sees the floors and the library walls and everything crack. It's pretty significant. And nothing excites villains more than an earthquake. And we pan down to the master's cavern. And he's celebrating. He's basically just, like you said earlier, chewing up that scenery. He's like, my time has come. Glory. (laughs) And he's like. He's so excited. Yeah. And I got to give it to him. Like, he's had some setbacks this season. You know, he had to kill the three. He's lost Darla. (laughs) The three. Zachary. He's been stuck hanging out with Colin. And I can only imagine that Colin is really annoying. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, you deserve a little bit of. Joy? Joy, yeah, I guess joy as far as joy can be felt for a demon. Yeah, he's like sick of playing, you know, hangman with Colin in the cave. He's ready to venture out into Sunnydale and unleash hell. And uh, right before we cut to the credits, he turns to Colin after the earthquake ends. And he's like, "Um, what do you think it was? Like a (laughs) 5.1? Which I think is so funny. So the next morning at school, Giles is looking terrible. Like Giles is disheveled. He's tired. He's wearing the same clothes he was wearing the night before. So he's been there all night. And Buffy walks in and comments on how unsound the library looks after the earthquake. Like she's like, is it safe to be in here? And he turns and stares at Buffy in disbelief or just like, I can't like, like he he's just staring at her. And she says, Uh, that she went hunting and killed three vampires the night before and they were almost on school grounds. So vampire numbers are increasing in Sunnydale and they're getting cockier and it was a pretty close call. And Giles seems preoccupied and she starts whining and she's like, you know, she's putting her life on the line and she broke a nail and now she has to wear a press on and he, you don't care, you don't care. And Giles (laughs) Giles <laughs> says he's sorry. Uh, he's glad that she's all right, but he's just like preoccupied and he can't talk right now. And Buffy says, I know I have to go meet my terrible fate. And Giles is really alarmed that she says that. 
and she she means biology <laughs> and she leaves yeah. Yeah. there's just there's so many good like double entendres here unintentionally so mm-hmm. there's dramatic irony going on because we of course know things that giles knows what buffy doesn't and vice versa so every seemingly innocent or flippant comment that buffy makes giles is misinterpreting it's not that he doesn't care about her but he is so so preoccupied by this disturbing discovery that he's made and poor buffy just wants him to be proud of her but apparently that's too much to ask (laughs) of your stressed librarian surrogate father when he's clearly been up all night in an earthquake damaged library (laughs) yeah but i mean this is also a callback to the pilot because remember you spoke so wonderfully in the pilot about how buffy was whining to giles in their first like big conversation and this is no different right we're 12 episodes in this is the end of season Mm -hmm. one and that dynamic is still there but it's deeper now because they've gotten to know each other which is nice so Buffy, Xander, and Willow are walking in the quad after biology, and they're talking about class, and Xander says, you know, Willow, don't you have a thing? And Willow takes the hint and leaves. And this is when Xander takes his opportunity to finally ask Buffy out. And he sits her on a bench, and before he does that, he tells a guy to to move. Like, he's like, leave. And my note here is, what? Since when is Xander cool enough to order people around? <laughs> when does he have pull I mean, to do that? <laughs> maybe the guy's just so surprised. He's just like, wait, what? Uh, yeah. I guess. I, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> like, Our, it's, it's so interesting that they chose to include that, though, right? Because they yeah. could have just had an empty bench, so. Yeah, they I purposely I don't know did what's that. going on there. That was weird. Maybe they're scared of Xander from the pack episode because he was temporarily cool and intimidating. Pro- no (laughs) maybe i don't know i i it was a weird scene i was just like i don't this came out of nowhere and why would this kid listen to xander who's the biggest loser in school so xander starts mumbling and then he finally just says i want you to go to the dance with me and buffy says i don't know what to say and xander says you're not laughing so that's a good start just dripping in insecurity right well this is straight men's greatest fear right is that women will laugh at them it's like that famous margaret atwood quote that men are afraid women will laugh at them women are afraid men will kill them like god laughing at xander would have been the worst reaction buffy could have had so yeah fragile well, well of course because he's been fed this steady diet his entire short teenage life that you know, he is nothing if he's not with a hot girl. Mm. His self-worth as a manly man is determined by whether or not he has an attractive girl on his arm. And he's talked himself into, thanks to hormones, believing that he's in love with Buffy. And he's convinced himself that this is what's going to make him worthy, right? So while I don't condone Xander's behavior, um, I, I think this is like one of the less creepy things he's done this is a fairly normal teenage boy thing is to ask a girl out and like you said uh near the beginning of the recap he decided on a straightforward approach which good for him like this is not a bad way to do it and we can certainly understand where he's coming from for sure even if we don't like it even it's you get he gets very toxic he's awesome (laughs) (laughs) yeah but he he gets very toxic very quickly so 
Xander says, I like you a lot, and I know we're friends, but I want more. I want to dance with you. And Buffy says, you and Will are my best friends. And like, just look at her face, Xander. Just look at her face. You know this is not going well. Uh, Xander says, Willow doesn't want to date you. And if she does, she's holding it pretty close to her chest. (laughs) I I can't possibly comment on what that means. No, I don't know why he would say that. Buffy doesn't want to spoil their friendship basically. And Xander says, yeah. And Xander says, you either feel a thing or you don't. And that's when Buffy firmly says, I don't, but she also Mm -hmm. kindly says she's sorry. And that she just doesn't think of him that way, which is honest. Like what else can she do, but give the honest truth in a kind way. Buffy gets a 10 out of 10 on letting Xander down here. Like, this is great. She's kind. She's compassionate. You know, she's not laughing at him. Like, this clearly took courage on his part, and Mm -hmm. she's recognizing that. But she's being honest. She's not, you know, saying, oh, you know, maybe. Like, um, yeah, 100%. Good job, Buffy. You know, it sucks for Xander. Yeah, it does. I'm not going to go as far as saying poor Xander, but, you know, it does (laughs) suck for him. But that's the thing. It's like Buffy doesn't owe Xander anything, but because Buffy considers Xander a friend, it was very nice of her to give him this grace, this graceful, mm-hmm. uh, we're friends, that's what I want to be. Mm-hmm. And that's when Xander shows us exactly how he deals with rejection. And he says, you know what? No, forget it. I'm not him. I mean, I guess a guy's got to be undead to make time with you. <laughs> and Buffy says, that's harsh. And it's so true. And Buffy's actually so hurt by that. And Mm -hmm. she didn't even mention Angel. She hasn't mentioned Angel in episodes. Well, you know, I don't know, I guess weeks to them. But because Xander just sees women as belonging to one man and then transferring me into another, like he had to bring the other guy into the situation when it's purely about your relationship with Buffy, your friendship with Buffy. So the jealousy is is so apparent in this guy he says i'm sorry i don't handle rejection well considering all the practice i get okay uh (laughs) so he walks away and buffy looks really upset buffy only has two friends like we keep making fun of xander for having two (laughs) friends buffy has two friends you know yeah like she's clearly (laughs) shaken by this yeah i think he's supposed to we're supposed to leave this conversation feeling sympathy for both sides buffy feels bad for hurting his feelings xander feels bad because his feelings were hurt but i just think he was very entitled here i think he kind of acted like a prick near the end i think going into it it was okay what he brought angel into it just Mm -hmm. just let it be about you and her and the fact that she only sees you as a friend yeah i agree this is something that we've seen in xander already and it's something i remember clearly about xander from previous series watches he's a nice guy to a point and then when you push him too far first he gets the mean humor going and then he just gets the mean going right like there's a mean streak in him and we're seeing that in this scene yeah and it it makes him the worst (laughs) no i disagree with that stuff uh what happens in another scene or so with him and willow makes him the worst (laughs) let's just wait and see how we, he... we gotta hold back we can't we can't we can't say he's the worst yeah there's more yeah. to cut he's dug a three-foot hole for himself he's about to dig six so let's just let's just see what happens next uh giles is on the phone and he's saying to somebody i need to see you come after sundown and as soon as he said after sundown i know he's talking about angel like obviously who else would come after sundown because let's not forget everyone <laughs> angel's a vampire <laughs> this show really needs you to know that angel's a vampire and <laughs> Angel has a telephone. 
Angel Apparently. Angel gave Giles his number or is Angel like listed in the phone book as Angel like he, like that just one name <laughs> Oh well um that's when Jenny Calendar not Jenny Carpenter Jenny Calendar comes to the door Good job Steph Thank you very much uh, that's growth See Xander that's growth Uh she comes to the door and she knows notices that Giles was there all night so clearly she's very aware of Giles's appearance and whereabouts and stuff uh she says something is going on and she's been surfing the net guess what happened in the last week in sunnydale a cat gave birth to a litter of snakes the lake started boiling while a family was swimming and a boy was born with his eyes facing inward so jenny just a normal day in thunder bay (laughs) what's so weird about that literally nothing um not to mention last night's 5.1 earthquake. So that's apocalypse stuff. And Jenny knows this. And they have a problem because the end is nigh. <laughs> Giles says that he doesn't know if he can trust her. <laughs> Giles, did you forget that she helped you not four episodes ago? And she says that. She's like, hey, I helped you cast a demon out of the internet. So that ought to make you trust me. And... Jenny, do you forget that that demon has a name and his name is Moloch, the Corrupter? All hail Lord Moloch, we love you. (laughs) Praise Moloch, we miss you. Bring back Moloch. (laughs) She admits that she's scared and she has a monk emailing her about the anointed one. So random. A brother Luca, the monk, has information on a prophecy that and is sharing it on the internet. Giles like orders her to go and get more information. He's like, just do it. <laughs> yeah, he, he's really snippy, which kind of shows like, you know, normally he's put together. He's got this reserved, cool British exterior. Mm-hmm. Just like we saw Xander under stress and we see that mean streak coming out in Giles. Like this whole episode is about seeing our characters under stress. And when Giles is under stress, his reaction is to become snippy. And when he's giving orders, which he's used to doing because he's used to being in an authority role, he'll often just start ordering people around without really considering their feelings or whether or not his him ordering them around is appropriate. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Jenny kind of like, she says it's fine that he snipped at her, right? But she's like, you have to explain things to me later. Yeah, she's, she, this is why I love her. She's so cool, right? Like, yeah. she's like, well, that's not cool. <laughs> but I'm gonna do it because I know it's important. You know, we're gonna we're gonna deal with this. We're coming back to this chat. Yeah, yeah. She's like, back the fuck up, all right? I'll do it, but like, not in my house. So Cordelia, <laughs> Cordelia, and her new guy. Remember, his name's not Mitch. It's Kevin. They're walking in the hallways. Can we just call him Mitch? Like, can we just call all Cordelia's guys Mitch? Mitch like, the sequel. <laughs> I don't want to have to learn their names. We don't need to know their generic white guy names. We don't. I feel like that's what Cordelia's parents must do, right? Like, she brings a different guy home all the time, and they, they must just have a name for them. They're like, oh, okay, Chuck. And he's yeah. like, my name's Kevin. And it's like, no, no, no it's we Chuck. just call all of you Chuck. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Mitch. <laughs> okay, so Cordelia and Mitch are having a really nice conversation. That's better. You can tell Cordelia's really into Mitch. This Mitch is being sweeter to her. Then the last Mitch. You always want to upgrade. You always want to trade up your Mitches, right? (laughs) Perhaps one day Cordelia will meet her Mitchell. But for now, they're just Mitches. (laughs) 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 And that's why the last Mitch got got beat up in the locker room in the last episode. He wasn't good enough. What's odd in in this scene is Cordelia goes up to Willow 
and they have a conversation. And that's the weird thing about the scene is their conversation. <laughs> so Willow, so she says to Willow, she tries to be nice. And she's like, I really like your outfit. And Willow calls her out immediately for being fake and says, no, you mm-hmm. don't. Like, no, you don't. And she agrees. And she's like, no, I do need a favor from you. There's this part and then there's a later part in the scene where we really see how awesome Willow is. But I oh, yeah. love... I love this interaction with Cordelia, who's been bullying her up until literally this conversation. And it's awesome that Willow, who is portrayed as being like inferior to Cordelia in terms of personality, that she's meeker and shyer. In this conversation, she just doesn't put up with her bullshit. And I think in a lot of different situations, in a lot of different media forms, the classic nerdy girl would be psyched that the popular girl is talking to her. But Willow's not. She's just kind of like, what the fuck do you want? Well, we're seeing the growth here in Willow's character. Mm-hmm. Like, this is mirroring the encounter that she and ha- Cordelia and Willow, sorry, had in the first episode, right? Where it's like, Willow's very timid. So now Willow has grown because she's more confident, right? She's hunted monsters and had a fake demon boyfriend on the internet. Yeah, it's just interesting to see uh, that power dynamic change. You're right. Like the first time we see Cordelia bully Willow at the fountain versus now where I think Willow very much holds an equal power to her in this conversation. So uh, what she needs from Willow is so she needs her to hook up a sound system the next morning for the dance that night uh, because I guess Willow is a sound system expert. <laughs> I don't know. Uh and she's like, if you do it, I'll even talk to you at the dance. Like, I'm, I'll be nice to you, basically, like Lucky Willow. And uh, Willow agrees to this. And they set up a time for 10 a.m. tomorrow morning to meet up. This is when Willow notices Xander bouncing a ball in the classroom next to them, looking dejected. And she goes in to talk to him. And he says that the talk sucked. But it could have been worse. He could have had gangrene on his face. Xander said that she's still jonesing for Angel. And could care less about him. And I'm going to take Jenny's saying, which I just made up for her, which is back the fuck up, Xander. Because Buffy could not have been more clear that she does care about you. She said she was sorry and she valued your friendship. And she just didn't think of you romantically. But she values you and wants you in her life for some reason (laughs) the friend zone is not a bad place to be i said that in which yeah and i'm saying it now yeah and you're right and this is something that willow says she's like well at least now you know so that's also a very kind thing to say and a smart thing to say and willow and buffy are just so like xander you don't even deserve these women you don't that's fucking great advice. Like, at least now she knows. Like, you fucking, you took, like, a, six months to figure out how to ask her, and now you know. So Xander then says, hey, Willow, like, why don't we go to the dance together, and we can have a good time, and, you know, it'll be so fun. And that's when Willow says, no, there's no way. I'm so proud of Willow here. Yeah, it's it's incredible. It's truly incredible. Xander looks confused and he's like, well, why not? And she says, you think I want to go to the dance with you and watch you wish you were there with her? Like, you think that's my idea of fun? You should know better. So poignant. Yes, Willow. Yes, 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 yes. She knows. Yeah, she knows he's using her as a rebound. And up until this point, that's what their friendship has been, right? Is Willow has always been there. 
to just hang out with Xander because he's being rejected and he doesn't have a date, right? And he he goes back to her and he he's using her and it's yes. not healthy. This is where I'm saying, I'm calling it Xander's being the worst right now because he is not thinking of Willow at all. And, and I'll also say, I think he wasn't thinking of Buffy earlier, right? Like this is his failing is he's not seeing Buffy or Willow as people with their own desires and emotions and, and autonomy, right? Uh, he was thinking of Buffy as this thing that he could acquire this as a object. girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. And when she rejected him, he was offended because he's like, well, how could that happen? You need to belong you know? to somebody. Why can't yeah, it be like, me? Yeah. Like how, what, how dare Buffy have, you know, feelings that aren't congruent with his. And now he's turning around. He's like, okay, well, don't worry. I still have Willow in my toy box. Yeah. And it's like, no, Willow is also her own person, buddy. And she's not here to play your game. No, like she's not a pushover the way you think she is. And she's worth so much more than what you're offering her. But you would never stop and think, Xander, what you're offering anybody. All you think about is what these women are giving you. And that's where your problem is. And that's why everybody hates you. <laughs> so, so Xander, he says, oh, I didn't think. It's like, yeah, no, fuck. Like, we know you don't think. <laughs> so Willow just says, I'm sorry it didn't work out for you. And she leaves. And chef's kiss. Mwah! Another mature conversation from the girls on this show, both directed at Xander, who isn't getting mm -hmm. it. And he, we know he's not getting it because he's like, well, I'm just going to go home, lie down and listen to country music, the music of pain. There's so much emotional labor happening here by <sighs> women on the part of men. And we're doing emotional labor for him, too. <laughs> and it's just it's like, yeah, Xander, just go. Just go away. Go home. Go away. You know, get out of here. So after school, it's dark and late. I don't know what time. I don't know why Buffy's there at night. But um, she's she's just walking willy-nilly around the hallway with her stakeout. <laughs> just, and I know there's students around, but we've established in the last 12 episodes that Buffy's terrible at keeping her secret identity. While she's in the girls' bathroom, she turns on the tap and blood comes out. Ooh, it's gross. She goes to the library to tell Giles what, she's, uh, what she just witnessed. And he's in there talking to someone. And oh my god, it's Angel, the vampire. <laughs> and she hears what they're talking about. And they're having an argument over um, the prophecy that Giles had brought up at the beginning. And Angel is saying it could be wrong. And Giles is like, like sometimes prophecies can be thwarted. And Buffy herself has done that time and time again. But nothing in the Codex has not come to pass. And the prophecy is very clear. Tomorrow night... Buffy will face the master and she will die. So I think that this is the point in this episode, but also in the series, where we don't go back to how it was before. From this moment on, we're going into new territory because Buffy is going to die tomorrow night. So how Buffy deals with that going forward in this episode, it's a huge turning point for her and her character. Like you said at the beginning, Buffy changes here mm -hmm. and we're gonna see how i agree buffy's face says it all and it's a pure shock and then she starts to laugh that's when angel and giles realize that she's there and she's heard everything that they're talking about 
So Buffy says, one Slayer dies, the next one is called. I wonder who she'll be. Uh, will you train her? Will they send somebody else? And Giles' face is full of concern. And Buffy asks a very real question. The, the most real question I think we've ever gotten on the show so far. And that's, did they say how he'll kill me? And do you think it will hurt? Yeah. My heart. Well, be- because up until this point in the show... Buffy's never really been in real danger. Like, there's been moments where she's been threatened by vampires or other monsters, but we know that she's going to be safe, right? We know she's going to come out of this okay. That's just the nature of the show. Until now. Because even though the show is called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and we know there's more seasons, so obviously something's going to happen. We don't know that. (laughs) Buffy has never really faced the prospect of her mortality yet. I think the closest we've come to this has been Angel, where for at least a little bit of that episode, it seems like Angel is in a position where he might be coming for Buffy. And that's problematic because we know how strong and powerful Angel is. Uh, You might have heard, Steph, he's a vampire. What? (laughs) Um, So, yeah, like, this is the show signaling to us that it is going to grow and it's so different from the first episode where Buffy shows up and she's a perky ex-cheerleader who doesn't want to be the Slayer and just wants to be a normal girl. This episode shows us she has accepted that she's the Slayer. She goes hunting more than one night a week. She's proud of her skills and the show is signaling us that from here on out she is going to face existential threats she just just got real yeah and what's more real to me than ever is just the way she's reacting and what she's saying and asking that very (sighs) human question do you think it will hurt it's almost Mm -hmm. a childlike question but no doubt in my mind that adults would also ask this question it's a very human of course like thing to want to know she's also a child we shouldn't forget and she reminds us right Mm -hmm. she says i'm 16 years old I don't want to die, right? Like, it's just this reminder that, you know, she has been very flippant and sassy and strong throughout the season so far. Mm -hmm. She's still a child. Yes. And putting this type of responsibility, oh, you have to save the world and stop it from ending, on the shoulders of a 16-year-old is a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And and that's when she starts to cry. And, And let's not forget that she's telling this to Giles that her father figure to say like will it hurt like this like she's reaching out but she's also starting to back away because angel moves closer to comfort her and she says don't touch me and Mm -hmm. you know let him comfort you girl (laughs) right but But he's a vampire (laughs) and she's just being told she's going to be killed by a vampire i think she's that's where the recoiling coming from right is she's like I don't want your cold, undead touch. Oh, see, I, I read that more as like, I don't want comfort because that makes it real. I don't want to yeah, admit. That's a valid reading, too. Yeah. So she asked Giles if he was going to tell her. He says he had hoped to find a way around it. That's why he was talking to Angel. And Buffy says, "Yeah, you know what? I know a way around it. I quit. Right? Like, I, I fired. I retire. Like, I, I quit. And someone else can take over. 
And Angel's like, it's not as simple as that. And Giles is like, the signs indicate, blah, blah, blah. And that's when Buffy just starts chucking textbooks at him. And she's like, you know, tell me my fortune, read me my signs, like all you do with your books. You're not helping me. You're just making things harder Mm -hmm. for me. And Giles looks super ashamed. Like he's he's taking what she's yelling at him and he's like really listening to her and he, he looks ashamed. And Giles says, if you don't fight, the master will rise. And Buffy's like, I don't care. And she rips off that cross necklace that Angel gave her in the pilot. And she says what you ju- what you had mentioned earlier. Giles, I'm 16 years old. I don't want to die. It's so powerful. It's so moving. She throws the necklace on the floor and she walks out. This is such a good scene. And I hope, mm-hmm. listener out there, if you heard what we said before we got into the scene, how... Things are a certain way on Buffy season one, right? We're a little campy. We're a little innocent. We're in grade 10. And we're just like learning the basics of Sunnydale. This scene changes everything. This is the most emotional scene that we've seen from Sarah Michelle Gellar. She drives it home. It's super believable. It's the crux of the show so far. Nothing is going to be the same after this conversation. Yeah. I love that she's having this conversation with Angel and Giles. And you and I have made remarks in the past about how all these men are always telling Buffy what to do, right? Like Buffy's never really in control. Giles, Angel, they all come and give her information that she needs. But I do kind of love that they're working together to help save Buffy. And Mm. I do think that at this point in the series, Giles and Angel are the two most influential and important male figures in her life. More important than Xander? (laughs) Do I dare leave Xander out of that? Um, Or do I dare leave Hank Summers, who we met for five minutes (laughs) in a nightmare? Um, But no, these like Angel and Giles are are the ones. They're they're the they're the men in her life, right? And it's just wonderful that she could have this emotional scene with them there to support her and to be there for her. We're going to go to Willow's room now, and she's looking at ugh. She's looking at a framed photo of Xander and her wistfully, and she tries to call him. And just because apparently we care what Xander's up to right now, he's in his room, which is filthy, typical high school boy kind of room. He's lying on his bed listening to country music, just like she, like he said he would. He he hears the phone ring, picks it up, hangs it up, and then leaves it off the hook. He's wallowing, basically. To be fair, like, when you're sad, do what you got to do, right? Like, live in the emotion. That's fine. Yeah, this is a totally normal reaction. I think it's fine. It's better than him, like, stalking Buffy or something, right? (laughs) Yeah, but it's also, like, Buffy right now is dealing with literal life and death situations. And then we cut to Willow and Xander, who are, you know, our our teens, our, our human teens. And they're having, you know, a little fight. And it's okay. So... Buffy's in her room looking at photo album, and I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that in the photo album, there are images of, like, her and Xander and Willow, are they not? Yeah, I I think these are memories, you know, and she's thinking about how, like, when she came to Sunnydale, she felt lost. But over the course of this school year, she has found a place, right? Mm -hmm. She's found a group of friends. She feels safe. She feels taken care of and she's facing her impending death. Obviously, that's horrible, but it's like she's looking back at how far she's come, right? And what she's going to lose if she chooses to go ahead and embrace her destiny. When did they take these photos? (laughs) 
my question is because, you know, they have all these photos of hers and her Willem. Like, did they take it between the praying mantis uh, situation and then the pack? Like, when when on the Hellmouth did they have time to take these photos? But it's cute that she's looking through the album. I get it. And she's crying, too. And her mom, you know, even her sweet, sweet mom, who's so oblivious, notices that something's up with Buffy. And um, she comes up and asks her if anything is on her mind. And uh, Buffy's mom, clearly something is, because tears are just streaming down Buffy's face. Buffy basically begs her to take them away. She's like, you know, let's go away for the weekend anywhere. Let's just go on a trip. Mother-daughter stuff. And her mom says, you know, she's working that weekend. And isn't the spring fling dance tomorrow? Didn't anyone ask you? Like, I said it in, in the episode Angel, actually. I was like, if Buffy just told her mom what was going on, that she was the Slayer, and she was like, I'm going to die tomorrow. We need to leave. Like, she would just take her away. Like, just tell your mom, Buffy. Tell her. Help yourself. Uh, classic mom to think the problem's about a boy, right? <laughs> but what else could sweet, sweet Buffy's mom think a 16-year-old would be upset about? Definitely not the apocalypse and getting killed by an old vampire. So... Her mom chooses this moment to show her a dress uh, that she bought her for the dance. And it's a beautiful white wedding gown. <laughs> and Buffy says that, you know, they can't afford it. And her mom's like, we can. And what is the financial situation here? I thought they were doing okay. Like, Buffy has a lot of new clothes. Mm, yeah, I mean, they're probably doing fine, but it's a single income family. Uh, I guess Hank's probably kicking <laughs> in some child support, but you never know. He could be a deadbeat. Yeah. And... I'm sure, like, living in a detached home in that area probably isn't cheap. Um, True. Buffy's clothing budget probably isn't cheap. So, <laughs> yeah. Buffy's yeah, uh, so, outfits that she wears slaying. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah, the dress. The dress is obviously a very important part of this episode. It's iconic. And I just, I just have to, like, be a little critical here because the symbolism is a little too on the nose. <laughs> what do you mean? You know, it's like, it's just so virginal. Right? And it's so, like, pure. It's like this symbol purity. And it's like, come on, Joss Whedon. Like, could you dial it down just a little bit? Well, I, I like that you brought up Joss Whedon. I was going to bring him up later. But while we're on the topic, it's definitely not surprising all of Xander's stuff in this episode because Joss Whedon wrote and directed the mm -hmm. the season finale. And uh, it really shows now that we know more about Joss Whedon. It, mm, like his absolutely. presence is leaking out of the script here uh <laughs> oh yeah i have more thoughts once we finish the episode on joss whedon as a writer in this episode oh yeah we'll so get we'll get there so it is a beautiful dress we've agreed and buffy <laughs> and buffy's mom tells her i think a heartwarming story about how it's like a pet talk about how going to the dance without a date isn't a big deal and she had done it and that's how she met her father and Buffy said, oh, wow, you had your whole life ahead of you. Must be nice. <laughs> and I'm I'm just going to assume that Buffy's mom didn't hear her say must be nice. Because if it was my 16-year-old daughter who was crying and was like, you have your whole life ahead of you. Must be nice. Is I would be like, well, I guess we're going to go on a road trip. You know, like, I guess I'm not letting you out of my sight this weekend. Yeah, but that's because you're not a totally oblivious parent like <laughs> Buffy's mom. Yeah. <laughs> Next day at school, Cordelia and Willow are at, they're meeting up to go over the sound system. 
And Cordelia mentions that Mitch <laughs> didn't bring the stuff to the bronze the night before. He was missing. This conversation, and dare I say it, this little mini friendship we've got going on Ooh. between Willow and Cordelia is very unexpected, shocking, and nice. <laughs> like, I think it's really cute that they're having this conversation. Uh, they, they look into the window of the student lounge the student lounge is, is bonkers to me. Why would high school students have... Is that common to have a student lounge? I don't lounge? know. We didn't have one at my school. Oh, hell no. We didn't have a TV we could watch. We've never seen it in this series before, so... My high school certainly didn't, but others definitely could have. But, like, who gets mm. to use it? And how do you Mitch. keep kids from abusing it? <laughs> All the Mitches. <laughs> yeah, all the Mitches of the world. So... <laughs> They, when they look in, um, and you see the back of the boys' heads on the couch, but as the camera spins out, holy shit, it's, that room is just full of dead teenagers. I, count, I counted five. Three boys and two girls. And the room is covered in blood and is in shambles. And Mitch's body is leaning against the door. And they don't notice it yet. All they can see is that the, the two kids' heads. So Cordelia opens the door. Mitch falls on her. And she starts screaming. Willow looks horrified and is looking around the room. And that's when we notice, like, we did see the TV earlier, but now it zooms in and there was a bloody handprint on the TV the whole time. Principal Snyder is going to be pissed. <laughs> Principal Snyder is going to be so worried about five parents suing him. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, like, his, his stated mission is no more dead bodies at Sunnydale, right? Which, honestly, is a good goal as a principal. Yeah. <laughs> and here we are, more dead bodies. So he's having a really bad week because the school has earthquake damage. <laughs> there's now five dead bodies. Yeah. It's tough to clean that much blood up as well. So there's <laughs> going to be a big cleaning bill. Yeah. He's got to justify all these expenses to the school board. Like, poor Principal Snyder is not going to be having a good time here, especially after the rest of this episode. Oh, it's such a shame that we don't see him in this episode. I would have loved to see him. Just just a little shot of him walking down the hallway looking distressed would be enough, you know? Um, so Buffy is wearing the dress in her bedroom and her hair is done. Her makeup is done. Uh, she's looking very beautiful. And her mom comes in and is like, hey, there's something on the news. Go check on Willow. So in Willow's room, Buffy is sitting with her and Willow is traumatized. She's curled up on her bed. She's crying. And she's just saying that she, she thought that she had seen so much in the last however many months that she could take anything. But this was different. She's not okay. She knew those guys. She goes to that room every day. And when she walked in there, it wasn't our world anymore. They made it theirs. And they had fun. And tears are streaming down her face. She says, what are we going to do? And Buffy says, what we have to. Buffy makes sure Willow promises to stay in tonight. And as she goes, Willow says, I like your dress. And Buffy says, take care and leaves. So there's two things I want to say here. One is that I want to give Allison Hannigan props for the scene. She is doing a great job in conveying mm -hmm. Willow's horror at what she saw. Yeah, it's tough because it would be really easy to overplay it, right? And kind of make it cheesy or melodramatic. So she has to have like a restraint on her emotions, she can't be like bawling her eyes out because otherwise it turns into Cordelia with like the crocodile tears and stuff, mm -hmm. right? So I agree. She plays it very close to her chest 
in a way that makes it more believable. Yeah. And um, Buffy was already wearing the dress and she looked like all done up and beautiful. But when she goes to see Willow and then Willow tells her the story, Buffy says, we're going to do what we have to do. And is this the moment where Buffy makes the choice that she's going to face the master? Because from here, she goes straight to the school. Mm-hmm. And is if that's the case, is it Willow's trauma that inspires Buffy to do what she has to do? Okay. Um, it's a great question. I think subconsciously, Buffy has already made the decision. I think this interaction with Willow is more so for us, the viewers, to show us Buffy's resolve. It hardens her resolve, I think. she She's more determined than ever. She's decided, you know, I can't walk away from my responsibilities as the Slayer, right? Like, she had her freak out earlier with Giles and Angel. So understandable. And I like that we saw that because I don't like it when our heroes are perfect and they're always just like, yeah, I can deal with anything. And of course, oh, the master, whatever, we'll fight him. It's like, mm-hmm. she freaked out and she almost ran away. Mm-hmm. Yep. So now she's coming back and she's accepting her destiny. And, and Willow is a part of that. I think she had already kind of made the decision, but Willow has solidified it. Okay. And the scene between her and Willow is important because it's showing us that Buffy isn't the slayer because she has the power. Buffy is the slayer because she is a hero who is there to protect people. And I think that if Buffy were to like lose her slayer power, she would still be a hero, right? Mm-hmm. That's what this scene is showing us, is it's about her connections to the world. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, I I needed to ask the question because I wasn't quite sure, but I think that you're absolutely right, that she had already accepted that and this solidified it, like you said. So the master and Colin <laughs> are testing out the force field, which appears to be weakening. And the master says, soon, <laughs> and sends Colin out into the night. So in the library, Giles is filling Jenny in on the master's backstory, which is a really nice little reminder for the mm-hmm. audience who need a little catch up, right? Also, don't think I'm not noticing that you've decided to call her Jenny from now Oh, on. yeah, I'm, I'm not taking any risks with this one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, when I learn a lesson, I learn it hard. <laughs> don't you mean Ginny? Ginny. <laughs> Shut up, Kara. <laughs> So, if the master <laughs> if the master gets out, it will open the hellmouth, which brings the demons out, and 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 therefore the end of the world. So Giles is piling weapons onto a table, and Jenny <laughs> says she's surprised that the Slayer is Buffy, who is so little. <laughs> uh, okay, so Brother Luca, the monk, remember him. Uh, he warned the internet about the master's prophecy and he has now disappeared, but left one last message, which is a Bible quote, a little child will lead them, blah, 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 lambs. Like there was, it was, it was a little bit longer than that, but that was the gist. And the anointed one will be a child that will lead Buffy into hell. So Giles remembers that out of the five that died and never kill a boy on the first date, one was a little boy. So this is lining up pretty well. Giles reveals that Buffy will not be facing the master. He is. And that's when Buffy comes in and she says, no, you're not. (laughs) And 
Uh, just a note here, Buffy is wearing Angel's leather jacket, the true hero mm -hmm. of this series, <laughs> over top of her white dress. Giles says uh, Buffy was right. He was too tied up in his books that he wasn't facing the real world and he's going in her place. She says no. He says his mind's made up and he's older and wiser and she should just do what Which she's told he for once. Said that, but he's tried to play that card before. Yes. <laughs> and that's never worked out for him. But this, this is very important. Giles is going off the script here because everything we know about the relationship between Watcher and Slayer is that the Watcher is a stuffy British person who is there to keep the Slayer in line. He's basically keeping her on a leash. Mm -hmm. And I think any other any other Watcher would just feed Buffy to the Master. He'd be like, okay, this is your destiny. Go to it, right? Mm -hmm. And if she dies, she dies. And as Buffy very coldly said in the previous confrontation, another Slayer rises, right? Like, I think to the Watchers, Slayers are fungible and disposable at the end of the day they are expendable and that's an interesting and kind of dark realization for the show to give us here mm -hmm. so this is showing us that as much as buffy has come to see giles as a surrogate father he's returning that feeling he sees her as a daughter he sees her as somebody he has to protect not just watch over as a watcher does a slayer but actually he's interfering now yeah and i think that if the watchers council weren't so hands-off they would be frowning at this oh for sure and it also reveals that giles is a hero too i would assume that he's going into this fight knowing that he won't survive but he's gonna do it to save buffy like that makes him a hero and mm -hmm. That's so nice and like heartbreaking in a lot of ways. And I like what you just said about Watchers and the idea that they are quite hands off. They're usually hands off from what we can tell. So does that make Giles a good Watcher or a bad Watcher? I think in the eyes of the Watchers Council, right? Yeah. He's a bad Watcher because he should have a professional distance and he should feed Buffy to the Master and then wait for instructions. Yes. You know? Here's the next Slayer, or cool, good job, buddy. You can retire now, and we're going to give her a new Watcher. Like, you know, yeah. the Watcher's Council does not care about Buffy as a 16-year-old girl. But he's a good Watcher <laughs> from our point of view as the fans, right? Yeah. And, you know, if we're on Buffy's side, like, yes, go Giles. Yeah. You know, it's nice that you want to protect Buffy. Well, they're, like, such a good match because, obviously, Buffy doesn't go by the rules and neither does Giles. He, he follows his heart. I, I mean, <laughs> we are going to see this time and again in the series, for yeah, sure. And we can definitely talk more about it in our recap of season one. But uh, they have a cute little exchange, right, where he's like, she's like, it's up to me. I'm the Slayer. And he's like... I don't care what the books say. I defy the prophecy and nothing you say will change my mind. And she's like, yeah, I know. And punches him in the face and knocks him out for the hundredth time in the 12, in 12 episodes. Poor Giles. You, you, Giles, you need to see like a neurological specialist <laughs> at this point, please. Yes. But this is interesting. Like that's a shocking move, I think. I think that would really surprise people who are watching this for the first time. Well, that's breaking a boundary for sure to punch yeah. to punch your your watcher or your father figure in the face just to get him out of the way. Uh, and I promise before the recap next week, I will count how many times Giles got knocked out this season, just so we know. Uh, so Buffy picks up the silver necklace that she left the night before and she's putting it on while Jenny tends to Giles. And Buffy says, you know, when he wakes up, th think up something cool and tell him I said it. 
So lazy. I love it. It's so lazy. <laughs> Typical Buffy, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I just think it's so. It's such a. I actually really love this quote from Buffy because Buffy is very quippy, right? Like she usually has something good mm-hmm. to say, usually. But in this case, it's like, do you say something profound, or do you say something heartfelt, or do you say something, yeah, quippy or funny or you know, see a Giles, you know, like something like that. So she's like, you think it up. I don't have time for this right now, right? You do it. And Jenny says, you know, if you fight the master, you'll die. And she says, maybe I'll take him with me. And she take, picks up the crossbow, her fave weapon of choice, and she leaves the library. I want to pause for a moment mm-hmm. and just very quickly acknowledge that Jenny is out of her depth here. Mm. She's cool, but... Everything we know about her so far is she's very hands-off, right? Like, she's a techno-pagan. She surfs the internet. This is a hobby for her. And suddenly, she's being tossed into the deep end and told the world is ending, and you need to help me fix this. And now this 16-year-old student at the high school she works at is going off to die in a fight with a 600-year-old vampire. Like... (laughs) That's this is all a lot for Jenny to process in like one day. So yeah. kudos to you, Jenny. You're doing great. Yeah, good for you. You know, I always believe that when you start a new job, you just jump in two feet first, and that's the only way you're gonna learn is getting your feet wet like that, you know? <laughs> all right. Outside the school, Buffy has a crossbow and Colin is in the field waiting for her. He's like, Help me. And she's like, Yeah, I know who you are. So he he raises I love his hand. This. Raises his hand and Buffy takes it and he leads her away. I love that they short circuit it, right? Yeah. And it's not like he's tricking her like he thought he'd be. Yeah. Poor Colin. He's been building up to this moment for his whole vampire undead life. Oh, yeah. He- and Buffy's just like, sorry, dude, like you don't have to do this. I know. Just, just take I fucking me know. Uh, yeah. And he was like, oh, I practiced with the master so many times, like all this different scenarios <laughs> of how this would go. And she took it all away. The master's like, no, 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 Colin, make it more plaintive. She's got to <laughs> really believe you're in danger. Yeah. Look scared. He's like giving look- Colin notes. <laughs> More fear. More fear in your eyes. You don't know where you are. You're a lost child. <laughs> I'm, pi- I'm picturing him and he's got like another vampire dressed up as Buffy and he's like sitting in a director's chair with like a beret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's yeah, just yeah. like, okay, let's run it from the top. <laughs> the three practice with him. Uh, in the Back in the library, Willow and Xander are there with Jenny and Giles and they all know about the prophecy now and they're all wondering what to do and willow didn't you promise buffy you'd stay inside right but i think what happened is obviously jenny and giles called them for backup like we need help Mm -hmm. research wise come on students come put yourself in danger come on 16 year olds come to the school where the dreaded locker room is (laughs) like (laughs) come on hey we don't see the locker room this entire episode Steph. you cannot blame the locker room for this (laughs) oh yes i can (laughs) okay but i have something i have something to say about the locker room in a little bit so giles says stay calm and willow agrees Xander's freaking out and he's getting mad at Giles for letting Buffy go. And Giles rightfully gets snippy at him. He's like, yeah, excuse you. I didn't let her go. Like she punched me in the face. Uh, Jenny reminds everybody that there's an apocalypse coming. And Xander says rudely, do you mind? And Willow says rudely, why is she in the club? And I don't know why they have this automatic distrust for her. Or like this I think disrespect. it's a shock, you know? 
I hope Willow's so. in shock right now and she's hurting and yeah, I think she's just at the end of her rope. Yeah, that's fair. But I also think like Jenny's doing a good thing here because they're really worried about Buffy. Buffy went to go die and Jenny is also reminding them that, hey, the Hellmouth might open. Like, yeah, she's going to die, but then the Hellmouth will open and everyone dies. And that's a really big deal. And Xander says he doesn't care. All he wants to do is help Buffy and he knows a way to find out where she's gone. And uh, this is something that we will see throughout the series pretty often when there is an apocalyptic thing happening that a lot of the attention and concern will be about the loved one or the person as opposed to the greater picture, which is the end of the world. Mm -hmm. So I think that's pretty common. So quick shot to Buffy being led by Colin into the sewers (laughs) toward the master's lair we cut to Angel's apartment and Xander is at the door. Angel's just in there brooding. I don't know what he's doing. And um, how does Xander know where he lives? Yes, thank you. I had the same question in my notes. Like, yeah. Xander was never told any of this privileged information. What, did Giles just be like, I've got Angel's phone number and also here's his address? <laughs> like... It was in the phone book under Angel. <laughs> we, we, we already know that. Uh And by the way, kids, a phone book is this big book where everyone used to just give out their address and phone number. And their phone number. Anyone could find you, no matter what. (laughs) Um, So Xander says Buffy's gone to find the master and knows that Angel can find him underground. And Angel (laughs) gives Xander some snark here. And he's like, you know, you're out of your league, kid. And the master will kill you before you can even breathe if he's lucky. And... I, I am a little bit concerned that my boyfriend, Angel, is not more concerned with Buffy's safety. Like, he knows she's going to die tonight, and I would just assume that he, instead of brooding in his apartment, he would have been out helping her or doing something. So I don't know. I mean... I'm telling you. It's because he's a fuckboy. I'm just saying. <laughs> this is not going to work out. Xander whips out a cross and... um pointed at Angel and he says like I don't like you at the end of the day you're just a vampire to me but Buffy has a big old yen for you and I think and she thinks you're a real person so prove her right Angel says you're in love with her and Xander says aren't you damn back in the library Jenny is saying if the hellmouth opens where does it open like, where's the Hellmouth? Like, well, yeah, Sunnydale's on a Hellmouth, but where is it, right? And Giles mm-hmm. is, say, is saying that's a really good point. And maybe, uh, Giles, why weren't you researching this this entire time? Like, as soon as you got to the Hellmouth, figure out where the mouth is, you know? He's being busy, right? <laughs> He's also a school librarian. He has a lot of, like, books to track down that kids don't return, okay? You're right. He's busy indexing for most of the day, but... Uh, good thing he's got Willow here, so they're doing research together. But this is where I bring up the fact that I think it's pretty obvious where the Hellmouth should have been, and that is the locker room. Like, if I were to guess, watching now that I've I'm I'm pure of mind and have watched twelve episodes of Buffy season one, that is the only explanation as to where the mouth of hell is, and it's the girls' locker room. So. We see candles, which means that Buffy is almost at the master's lair. Colin pieces out. You know, he leaves. Buffy enters. As Buffy's looking around the master's cavern, we hear the master say, welcome. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) uh, she gives him snark 
about water damage. <laughs> and the master basically is just like, oh, this is the feeble banter portion of the fight. And Buffy sees him and shoots a crossbow at him and he catches it in midair and he says, nice shot. Buffy reloads. She, The master says, you are not a hunter. You are the lamb. And we all know that at the end of the Buffy episodes, action happens and there's a lot of things going on. So I'm going to be piling this a little bit differently than how it's shown in the episode. So really quickly, we see Xander and Angel are also having their own feeble banter session (laughs) as they look for Buffy. Angel is using his smell to find the master's cavern because don't forget he's a vampire and he's got super smell abilities. Back in the library... They're all wondering where the master's army will gather. And the last time he tried to do this was the harvest, remember? And they all came to the bronze for some fresh, young blood. And Willow says, oh my gosh, the prom is tonight, the dance. So, which is obviously at the bronze, right? So Jenny and Willow decide that they have to go to the prom to warn people. But as they go outside, they realize that the vampires are not gathering at the bronze they're coming to the school and there's a lot of them like 40 50 vampires i don't know there's a lot of them and they're swarming the girls and it's actually quite scary and that's when cordelia dries up in her car and tells them to get in and she says that she was sitting over there basically where her and mitch used to make out (laughs) and she saw them all coming and they say they need to get back to the library. Cordelia's just like, great. And she drives her car through the hallways of the school to the library doors. They get out. The vampires are chasing them. They barricade themselves into the vi- library while the vampires try to break down the doors. Giles uses a photocopier <laughs> at one point. And um, this is when we start to see little tentacles start coming out of the floor of the library. The... Yeah, the school is going to need a lot of repairs after this. Yeah, they should probably shut down for a couple of weeks and like, <laughs> you know. Like... I do I do love that Cordelia comes to the rescue. I love that she just like drives her car into the hallway. Yes. No hesitation. You know, we we haven't seen very good driving from Cordelia yet because so far <laughs> all we've seen is that driver's ed lesson where she's like, I don't want to drive because <laughs> she can't see apparently. Um, but... <laughs> Yeah, like, good job, Cordelia. You're really stepping up here. Yeah, I love this. I I wasn't expecting her to come to the rescue, so there she is. This is when we cut back to Buffy, and she's searching for the master again, who's once again hiding. And he says she's um, he's waiting for her, and he wants the moment to last. So he comes up behind her, he knocks the crossbow out of her hands, and he grabs her throat. And Buffy manages to break free, and she starts to run. But then the master uses the force from Star Wars to, like, hold her still. And I was like, why does he have these powers? It's so weird. Because he's 600 years old. he ha- And he's been trapped in this Hellmouth prison for at least, like, 100 years. He's got nothing better to do, right? He probably, like, sent away for, like, train your vampire <laughs> books on tape. And, you know, like... He's had a lot of time to hone his skills. Would you say that if the va- the longer the vampire lives for, they start developing these kind of powers? That seems to be what the show is hinting at, yeah. Interesting. So uh, he comes up behind her. He removes the leather jacket. Buffy seems frozen in place, in terror perhaps. He says the prophecy is tricky and they don't tell you everything. What 
The pro- what the prophecy didn't say was that Buffy is actually the one who sets him free. And if she hadn't come, he couldn't go. So Buffy fulfilled the prophecy by, by fulfilling the prophecy, basically. Uh, a tear falls down Buffy's face. She's super scared and ugh. And the master bites into her neck and starts drinking her blood. And then he stops and says, the power. <laughs> it's so cheesy. It's so cheesy. He, no, because I have this written in my notes. He says, oh, God, the power, right? Like, <laughs> this is a religious experience for him. Um, once again, man taking advantage of a way younger woman mm-hmm. and then feeling powerful afterwards. <laughs> um but yeah, it's it's so cheesy. Like like I'm sorry. There's only so far I can go here with the master hamming it up. Again, can we dial it back a little? Just a just a tad, the master. Like you don't need to be so extra about it, you know. <laughs> like so he then he says, "I like your dress," and he drops Buffy's body into the the, the pond. Was that did that pond used to be full of blood in the in the I don't know. Pilot? It's just there. It's just a yeah. convenient pond. Yeah, so Buffy falls face first into it. The master touches the force field, which glows white and allows him to pass through. And and yeah, and then he leaves, and we see Buffy's body just lying there. So we can assume she's dead, but it, what's interesting is that like he didn't actually drink from her for very long. He like nibbled well, her, and then that's I'm assuming it. like we've been told Slayer blood is probably more potent for vampires, so it's probably like a strong alcoholic beverage, right? You don't want to take too much because then you're going to get super drunk, right? <laughs> yeah. And the the master doesn't want to be drunk while he's taking over the world. He just wants to be a little tipsy. Okay, yeah. I mean that's not the that's not the road I would go down. I would love to be hammered if i was taking over the world <laughs> but i'm not the ma- i'm not six thousand years old i think he wants to be sober enough to enjoy it right <laughs> yeah that's true so good things Xander and angel have have smelt out the the lair because they enter and an angel grabs buffy's body out of the water and he says she's dead and dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. and this is like Everything at this point in the episode is happening so very fast and i don't think i had enough time to mm-hmm. really register that buffy died you know, like, mind you, we mm-hmm. don't get commercial breaks. That's that's the difference no. when you're streaming. Well, and yeah, it, it is quite subtle, right? Mm. It's one of those, this is one of those she's technically dead things, right? Like, this is how they fulfill the prophecy and they get out of it and they, they give Buffy her existential threat mm. without actually killing her off and then having a, a different Slayer for the next six seasons of <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's a bit of a cheat, right? Yeah. But we're supposed to think it's clever. And again, I, I will talk about my overall th- feelings about this episode and stuff later on. Yeah. But it is what it is. And I, I do think it's clever, but it is also a cheat. Yeah. So Xander says uh, she she's not dead. If she drowned, there's always CPR. Angel says he can't because he doesn't have breath because he's a vampire. <laughs> Which I call bullshit on that because when he ran over to Buffy, he was like huffing and puffing. And he was just using his vampire smell. And how do you smell things if you can't breathe the smells in? So this is a little, this is me nitpicking a little inconsistency in this universe. Well, good thing he's super handsome. So he can't, he can't breathe, but he's handsome. And Xander performs CPR on Buffy. It takes a few tries. It's not looking good. But then Buffy's eyes spring open. And uh, she coughs out water 
And she's alive. Buffy's alive. She was only dead for like a minute, maybe, right? And I so, 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 so wish it wasn't Xander who gives her CPR mm-hmm. and wakes her up. Because the first thing she says is, Xander, mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to talk about Joss Whedon once again now. Maybe we should just wait to the end. But anyway, Let, I don't like it. Let's wait on that. But yeah. I, I will agree with you here with what you're saying. I think you're right. I think what makes this problematic is not a male character saving Buffy in that sense. I think it's okay if that were all that was happening. Um, Because I do think there is something poignant about the character who lacks any kind of supernatural ability uh, saving the Slayer in such a prosaic way as using CPR, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I, I think that's a nice subversion. Yes. I think what sucks is it's Xander. If Xander were not a creepy perv the way he's been all season, this would be fine. Yeah. That is my problem with this decision to make Xander the rescuer and saving Buffy's life is it's Xander. I don't necessarily have a problem with it being a dude, but it's Xander. I'm with you on there. It's the Xander of the whole situation. It's like he gets to come out on top. He's the hero. Stop. Joss Whedon, stop. Yeah, clearly a self-insert thing going on. Stop. Okay. Okay, we'll come back to Joss Okay, so the master is at the high school. He's on the roof and he's like, my world, my beautiful world. And Xander and Angel are back in the cave. They help Buffy up. And Angel says the master's gone up. Buffy says, uh, she's like, let's go. And, And Xander says, no, you're too weak. And Buffy says, no, she feels strong. She feels different. Let's go. Why do you think she feels so strong right now? My opinion is that she she already died and she got the scary part over with. Oh, okay. That's really cool. I think I love that interpretation, that yeah. psychological thing. That's how yeah. I feel okay. about it because I don't think she like when she says I feel strong, I feel different, it's because okay, like I was afraid that it was going to hurt. I was afraid that I didn't know what was going to happen. Like what's it like to be dead? Now she's past mm-hmm. that and she's like I've already faced that. So now all that's left is to get rid of you. So I think that's where her power comes from. Yeah, like I had this theory that maybe it was something about how she came back from the dead. Um, and, and therefore, like, now she's a resurrected Slayer and that gives her this power up. Oh. But I, no, I actually like your idea that it's purely psychological. Mm-hmm. I actually like that better. So I am, <laughs> uh, I'm jumping onto your theory here. I think your theory is more consistent with the themes of this episode when it comes to like empowerment and Buffy's journey. So good job, Steph. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> like, I mean, that's what we said. Like, the, like not only did that conversation that she had with Giles and Angel, there was a, like a before and after there. Well, now there's a before when Buffy was alive and now after she comes back to life, right? Like she just has a different attitude now and that's going to help her. So in the library, they've successfully blocked the door from the vampires getting in, but they realize that the vampires are now trying to break in through the stacks in the back door area. And that tentacle I mentioned earlier is slowly crawling towards Willow's foot as her and Jenny try to keep the door closed. And that's when we hear 
the Buffy theme song. <laughs> like, dear, 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 dear. And it cuts to her, Xander, and Angel marching toward the high school. Buffy's in the lead. She's got her dress. She's got her wet hair. But she looks determined. It's the hero walk. It's the hero walk. And she knows where she's going. She knows where he's going to be. A vampire gets in the way. And she's like, oh, a bad guy. <laughs> Just, like, know, takes it's him out. such a good line. So... <laughs> I also want to point something out here that's, again, it's very subtle symbolism. Yeah. But you might have noticed, Steph, that up until this point in the episode, Buffy's hair has been up. Yes. And now it's down. So I think that's a symbol of her change, right? Mm -hmm. Like up until this point, it's like, okay, she was younger. She looked a bit younger. She looks more mature now. Right. Um, and that's it's the way she's carrying herself. Her long hair is down. She's still in the white virginal dress, but it's like the way she's holding herself in that dress, you can really get the sense that this is a different Buffy. This is a different Slayer. She is no longer resigned to her fate. She's freed herself of that prophecy. Yeah. So I just wanted to point out how there's like more subtle symbolism happening. No, I love that symbolism. And it totally makes sense because just think about the entire season one and the innocence of that and Buffy's whole life mm -hmm. getting established in Sunnydale. Now she overcame this prophecy, died and is coming back. And you're right. That is a great symbolism for how she's going to be moving forward. With this new uh, well, world she, understanding? She's fully embraced herself as a slayer. This is why I liked your psychological take mm -hmm. on why she feels different. Like, up until this point, she's always been very ambivalent about being a slayer. And in at least in this moment, she obviously she's going to have doubts later on throughout the series. But in this moment, she has never been more the slayer than she is now. Yeah. She is so completely confident. She is Buffy, the vampire slayer. Yeah. Yeah. And confidence is power. Like, that's it. Is Like, the reason the Master is such a scary villain is not because he's a 600-year-old vampire with the Force powers. He's a scary villain because he is a believer, right? He has this religiosity about himself and his role in prophecy and his ability to take over. His belief in himself is his power. And that's what Buffy has learned through this mortal experience is... She has to believe in herself as the Slayer. It's not enough to be the Slayer and to be like, oh, okay, I guess I have these Slayer powers. I guess I'll kill vampires. <laughs> yeah. She has to embrace it in order to fully inhabit that role. Mm -hmm. And she's doing that right now. <laughs> so um, at the base of the of the stairs that lead to the roof, Angel uh, puts on his vampire face to battle and Xander has his cross and Buffy says one way or another, this won't take long. So just cut to the library really qu quickly. <laughs> Cordelia bites a vampire on the hand. <laughs> I love Cordelia so much. Yeah. And she says, she says, how do you like it? <laughs> and Cordelia is everything. And... What a change from the harvest when we first see Cordelia up against a vampire that fucked her Jesse. And she was such a victim. So to see her mm -hmm. 12 episodes later biting a vampire on the hand and giving him snark is amazing. So the tentacles are coming out of the floor. They grab Will's legs and they start pulling her toward them. A giant demon comes out. It's like a three or four headed penis looking thing <laughs> and mm -hmm. 
and it makes this sound like the raptors from Jurassic Park. <laughs> and Giles is like, the Hellmouth, because the Hellmouth is located no shit. in the floor of the library. I'm sure that's just a coincidence. Definitely. It's definitely not, you know, a very awesome plot tactic. <laughs> so Giles takes an axe and starts attacking the demon before it eats Willow alive. Cuts the master on the roof and he's, you know, saying his his religious stuff like, come forth, my child, come into my world. And Buffy comes up behind him and says, I don't think it's yours yet. And he says, you're dead. And Buffy says, I may be dead, but I'm still pretty, which is more than I can say for you. He says, you were destined to die. It was written. And she says, I flunked the written. And I must have been in a mood. I made a note here that says, uh, here's my note. I'm just going to read it out. Yes, Joss Whedon, we get it. Pretty and dumb go hand in hand. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, I mean, I think this is just an example of how as much as I love the quippy dialogue in this show, yeah. sometimes it's it just verges on corny. Again, mm. can you dial it back just a little? Just a little bit. But it, I mean, it's a series. It's a season finale. So I guess they're just going to go gung ho, right? So the master tries to use the force on her again, but it doesn't work because she's over that shit. Uh, when she gets really close to him and he's got her by the throat again, she's like, you have fruit punch mouth. <laughs> Which is so funny. And uh, she punches him in the face. And we've yet to see the master have anybody use violence against him yet. So we yeah. know that this is a different Buffy. Uh, and they start fighting. So let's just do a really quick pan around. Just just so we can know where all the characters are at <laughs> right now, okay? Because a lot's happening. Buffy's fighting the master on the roof. Giles it gets knocked onto a table in the middle of the library. Not quite a concussion, but definitely could have broken his back. Willow is about to get eaten by a demon while Jenny is trying to help her. Cordelia is still fighting vampires at the door. Angel and Xander are being attacked by vampires at the bottom of the stairs that lead to the roof. <laughs> All right. Buffy does a lot of flip doos and fighting the master, and he manages to grab her by the throat again and says, Will you laugh when my hell is on earth? And... Buffy glances down, and we've said it so many times in this series, that Buffy is resourceful. Buffy knows how to use her surroundings to her benefit, so she looks around, and she sees through the glass ceiling. And by the way, I never noticed that the library had a glass ceiling, and, like, ever gorgeous. <laughs> like, what school has that, you know? It's, like, well, we said this in the first episode, right? Yeah. Like, this library is swaying it's nice. for a school. Yeah, Dunnydale High doesn't deserve it. Um... So she looks down and she sees that there is, because Giles had fallen on that table, that there is like broken wood down there conveniently. And she grabs the master by his throat, <laughs> which I love. And she says, you that amped about hell? Go there. And she throws him through the roof and he lands on that wooden piece. Good aim, by the way, because it's got to hit his heart. Yeah, damn. Like, she's, I mean, we know she trains at Giles, but does she practice throwing bags onto sharp objects across the room? <laughs> I can assume so. She's really good at it. Uh, and that is a skill. If anyone watches The Hunger Games, PETA does that <laughs> when he gets, when, when they're practicing their skills. He doesn't 
turn to dust. The master doesn't like dust. He can't just dust. Like that's not. Yeah, he gets like a special like Raiders of the Lost Ark. (laughs) I'm melting scene. Yeah, he gets like he's like disintegrating. He's like, "Eh!" (laughs) kind of like disintegrates slowly, and that's when the demon that's holding onto Willow it gets sucked back into the floor, and and all is well. (laughs) Yeah, the vampires just kind of peace out right like i don't know if they like sense that the masters died or whatever yeah. but they just they just kind of leave they're like oh okay i i mean vampires there's still like 40 of you you could easily still yeah. done chaos you have a good time. yeah you can kind of also time. like where did colin go right like is there some kind of plan where he goes and hangs out until a master comes for him like we'll never know what colin and the master had discussed and planned and talked and drawn out (laughs) in all that time in that cave you know (laughs) so (laughs) buffy angel xander enter the library with the others and they all look at where the master fell and his bones are left behind so the the older vampires get they they don't just Mm -hmm. turn to dust they they get to disintegrate and leave bones behind I'm sure it'll be fine, though. I'm sure there's not going to be any issue with the master's bones. No, guys, just leave them there. No big deal. Uh, the hell mouth is closed, and Buffy's looking at it, and she has tears in her eyes. And Sarah Michelle Gellar is so good at, like, she's just so good, you know? Like, there's so much said on her face, the trauma that she experienced. And this this changed her. We keep saying, like, it changed her, but it did. And I think in this scene, just look at Buffy's face, like, s- s- Mm-hmm. she's feeling feels at the moment but she's also being like you know it's been a weird day and she's with her friends and she's trying to act normal and xander's like yeah buffy died and everything and <laughs> giles says i should have known that wouldn't have stopped you they have a little moment a little look between uh buffy and giles and Giles says he doesn't like the library anymore. And that's when Cordelia and Xander suggest that we they go to the prom. They go to the bronze, to the student club hangout, and go to the dance. And Buffy says, we save the world. I say we party, which is iconic. Yeah, also, during this scene, the music that's playing is a piano version of the theme. Oh, it's so cute. I didn't even notice that. I love it. Jenny asks, what about him? Referring to the master's bones <laughs> and Buffy says he's not going anywhere loser and then as they turn to leave and everyone's walking away this is actually the first time we're seeing the entire cast together in the library and they're all having cute little banter Angel says to Buffy I really like your dress and Buffy says yeah yeah it's a big hit with everyone but you do notice here and I just want to point out really quickly because this is the last scene of season one that Buffy turns around and glances back at the master's bones before they leave. The end. Season one is done. We didn't bring this up at the beginning, but I will say that episode 12, season one, we named our podcast Prophecy Girls because this is an iconic episode. This, I think a lot of people would say this is their favorite episode of season one. Sure. This is the episode where Buffy comes into her own. Yeah, it's it's super, super important. And obviously, we're honored to name our podcast after this episode. But this episode is so good. It's so good. I agree. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So here's my Joss Whedon critique. So I agree. This is a good episode. Buffy is a good show. So I just want to be clear when I say what I'm going to say that I'm not saying that it's bad that Buffy's like this. Like, I I, I think it deserves the credit it gets for being innovative. I do think that sometimes people have a tendency to give the show and give Joss Whedon 
more credit for originality than they deserve. Yeah. Because if you really look at this episode critically, there's so much stuff in here that is actually somewhat cliched or a little bit over the top. And, and we pointed that out in a couple of instances. Um, you know, as much as Joss Whedon stated his goal as being subverting the whole blonde cheerleader is the victim in horror stories trope, the the way he does that is sometimes not super successful because he ends up falling back on like the male gaze as we pointed out with xander as a self-insert character (laughs) saving buffy um and just the whole thing like the white virginal dress the way that she is maneuvered into being this victim of the master and then she emerges from this trial stronger than ever like that's all very like classical hero's journey stuff. So I just want us to be careful when we are applauding and praising this show for how good it is that we're not giving Joss Whedon credit for like completely reinventing the playbook here. Mm-hmm. This is a good episode in part because he knows how to exploit the tropes of storytelling that really work well when you have a show about a chosen one and stuff. He did not invent those things. Uh, Certainly, he introduced some interesting twists and some interesting subversions. And I'm happy to give him credit for that because that's why we love this show. Yes. And we maybe don't love other shows as much. But at the end of the day, like, this is somewhat road and formulaic in the way it approaches things. Yeah. Yeah. And this episode of all the episodes so far could not be more clear how much Joss Whedon sees himself in Xander and how creepy that is. And I'm sorry, but like, yeah, like there's a lot of amazing, strong female empowered elements in this story. But the fact that the nice guy, the nice white guy, nerdy guy, average guy gets to be the real hero of the story does not sit with me well. And I'm not going to let that take away my overall feelings and impressions of this episode because i really do like this episode but Mm -hmm. it is super disappointing and so obvious at the end of the day when you look back at it yeah like when i was younger i think i was more um i enjoyed that i enjoyed i'm like oh like i said earlier like oh the normal person gets to be the one who saves the day i thought that was a cool twist great yeah because i wasn't really plugged into the the um problematic nature of Xander being the one who does that and of course now knowing what we know about Joss Whedon right it's like yes when you look at the series through a feminist lens there's definitely lots of empowerment in here for women but at the end of the day this show is maybe not as progressive as we were giving it credit for in the past and I I think that's why it's valuable that as we look back at the show and as we rewatch it we pick apart and we look at the stuff that maybe hasn't aged as well. Well, and especially up to now, right? We've only seen 12 episodes, mm-hmm. so not as progressive as of yet as one would think. Also, the mm-hmm. fact that it is a little bit disappointing that, like, Joss Whedon, you're so obvious that you went down the typical Disney princess route where Buffy was, quote, killed or went to sleep or whatever, and it was up to this prince to kiss her Ooh, and wake point. her up. Mm-hmm. And I see though I see that comparison, and to think that you think that Xander is you 
therefore Xander <laughs> is the prince and the hero of the story, takes away what I love about Buffy in this episode. Yeah. Well, it taints it, and but I'm like I'm, you know, I can separate myself. I can comp- compartmentalize mm-hmm. that, but it is disappointing so, and so so clear what he was trying to do here. Yes. So on that note, mm-hmm. um, I forgot to mention this at the time, but Cordelia has my favorite line of this entire episode, <laughs> which is what, and it's during the the nice conversation she's having with Willow before they discover the dead bodies, mm-hmm. and she's complaining about Mitch not doing what she wants him to do. And she says, men, I don't know why we put up with that. <laughs> Cordy, I want to be your best friend. Like, I want right? to hang like, out with you're you. You're so right, Cordy. Why do we put up with men? Like, <sighs> yeah. And I mean, I feel like Joss Whedon in this episode has kind of asked us this question. Yeah, that's the true question of, that's what I'm going to put, you know, and whenever we promote each episode, we have a question for you, for the listener. The question for this episode will be, why do we put up with men? (laughs) Uh, You know, I also, how lovely is it to see Cordy integrated into the group in this episode? Oh, yeah. There's no turning back now. Because in previous episodes, like even the last one, she wasn't really keyed into the supernatural element, right? She's like, oh, Buffy, I think you're in a gang. And even with the last episode with the crazy invisible girl, um. Cordy could have written that off in some way. She could have rationalized that. Yes. But this episode, sh- there's no way she can come back from this. She is fully read into the secrets now. Yes, it's true. So who mm-hmm. is your hero this episode? <sighs> it's tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think for this episode, if we have to name one hero, it's got to be Buffy. Like, this is her episode. Right. There's no question there. My hero this mm-hmm. episode is going to be all the female characters. I think they kicked ass okay. collectively. They're all pretty awesome in this episode. I will say that I feel like Willow was underused. Like, she was great at the beginning, mm-hmm. and I appreciate how strong she is. Yeah. But towards the end, she's just kind of there. And I know she's in shock and stuff, mm-hmm. but I, I just I feel like in the hustle and bustle of everything that was going on in this episode... You know, Xander got kind of cool stuff to do, including fucking saving Buffy's life. Like, why not let Willow do that? How subversive would that be if Willow was the one who gave Buffy CPR? Ooh, I know two girls' lips can't touch in the 90s on TV, but, like, that would be so much better. So much better. Poor Willow just got to, like, scream in the library. Hey, well, we will talk about Willow in our recap for season one, but for sure, like, she was underused sure. not just in this, in this episode, in this whole season. So, but I will give her the girl power because she rejected Xander and I love to see it. <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? So, Absolutely. We love our Xander rejection. Yeah. So girl power. The girl power this episode. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's it. What I said at the beginning of the episode, I wasn't ready for this. It's because coming to a series finale, a season finale, 12 episodes in, and you and I, like, it feels like we've been doing this now for, you know, a month or two now. Two months? Mm-hmm. Two months now, but... I don't know. We're finished season one. It's like crazy. I love it. Yeah. It's it's nuts. I'm just excited though because it just gets better from here. Like oh, season yeah. one is rocky, season two is great, season three is great. Like we, I'm just so excited. There's so much fun. <laughs> we did on. it. We got through it. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I hope we get renewed. I hope we get renewed too. Um, Moloch, if you're out there, make it happen for us. <laughs> uh, but uh, we'll see you guys in the season one recap episode next week. Next week, you're going to get a recap episode for the whole season. We'll just discuss season one in its totality. 
And then you'll also get a bonus episode where Stephanie and I review, not recap, but just review the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. And then the week after that, going forward, we're going to start season two, but we're going to do one episode a week because uh, we just wanted to kind of get through season one (laughs) uh, and then move on. So it'll be one episode a week, but trust me, it's going to be a great episode every week. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you've got some comments, message us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and Prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. We can't wait to hear from you. See you next week. Bye.